Our coach is dick. You're going to listen to me, you're going to listen to Andrew. We never phone. Fourth and ten. We always go for two. Do exactly what I say, no question. And always onside kick. Are you going to kick me a good one? Bob Landon looks good. It's off the fingertips. Oh! Misery loves coming. You at least put him on me. We won seven state titles. You know you're doing something right if everybody wants us to lose. But last year, we came up short. That sucks. One of the worst feelings. You feel like you've let the coaches down, the fans. Yeah. What do y'all think he's doing back there? Make Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Brit Bowling. We're joined tonight by a very special guest, but before that, I'm also joined by my Angel of North, Adam Wilkin. How are you doing tonight? I'm good, mate. Very good, actually. I am over the moon today, so this is like a dream for me, as you can imagine. So, yeah, good. One for you. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of the first people I ever spoke about when I talked to you was uh, I think that we had a mutual love for this coach, didn't we? So, um, yeah, so it's, re- it's really good to have this on. And, and to be fair, we also have a uh, mutual love for another coach who we're joined by tonight, aren't we? Um, we do, mate. We do. <laughs> we do. More for the banter than anything. Unfortunately, he's not got the same uh, skill set. Um, not not too far away, but not not quite there. Um, as Coach Kevin Kelly, but we, obviously tonight we're we're partnering with Bafka to bring you tonight's show, um, and we'll probably be doing that moving forward in uh, for a couple shows of, of this magnitude. So uh, we think it's important that obviously um, with Bafka and what they do and what and what we're trying to achieve that um, we hopefully can work more and more with Bafka. So we're joined obviously by I'm, I'm I think I'm right in saying director of Bafka. Uh, I've said this wrong a number of times. Pete Laird, how are you doing, Pete? Evening, fellas. Good to see you. Did you get it right? Kinda. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm a director without portfolio at Bafka, so um, I'm one of the big cheeses, but I'm not the whole cheese. You're not um, the whole cheese. And I'm not. You've still got cheese, cheese, man. That's all that matters. <laughs> Some kind sort of big of, uh, deal. <laughs> yeah, somewhere, somewhere. At least in your in your cupboard, you're a big deal. I'm, I'm a big deal in my cupboard. No, um, uh, obviously, <laughs> we're very excited at Bafka to get involved with you guys. You've been providing some fantastic um, content over the the COVID months, and it seemed, you know, a brilliant opportunity for us to tie up with what you're doing and provide our members with, you know, s- some of that content. We can push it to a wider audience. And hopefully keep our coaches engaged and and show them some of the, the great stuff that you do as well. Yeah, no, we, we really do appreciate that, and uh, looking forward to working you guys hopefully more and more in the future um, on on some obviously I'm, I'm repping the colours, guys. I'm repping the colours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least we're all on brand tonight. Um, but unfortunately, Pete, whilst I'd love to say they are, people aren't here to see us talk about Bafka. Weirdly enough, they're not. <laughs> we all know that they're not here for that. Um, so they're actually here to see uh, a guy who we, we we've just put there in um, in the intro video. Um, I don't really know how to introduce this guy without just unless you've not seen him before on YouTube. Um, I could introduce him as Bill Belichick's best mate. I could introduce him as the coach that never punts. Um, one of the most analytical-minded um, you know coaches I've ever seen. So. I think I'll just call him for now, Coach Kelly. So welcome to the show, Coach Kelly. How are you doing? Doing great, doing great. Kind of honored to be on here. I haven't I haven't done much across the, the ocean yet, so uh, that's a new one for me, but pretty excited. 
Yeah, well, we're just, I can assure you, if you're even a little bit excited, unfortunately, we're going to have to top you there and say we're probably more excited to have you on the show here, mate. I'll be honest with you. Um, so it's really it feels like Christmas Day for me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it feels like Christmas Day for me. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, very much so feels like Christmas. So we're, we're going to kickstart the show, really, with uh, punting it over, ironically, punting it over to you, Coach, um, in terms of do you want to just give uh, the, the viewers a quick overview about who you are, um, uh, and what you do at the moment, if that's all right with you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just a high school football coach that uh, uh, went through a weird journey to get there. I started off in, in college. I was going to be an accountant, ended up with uh, a biology degree as well, and uh, just kind of ended up coaching because a couple of my buddies were going there, and I got bored with accounting. So, so uh, went that direction. I've always loved sports, but I had a terrible background in high school, I had a coach, I had three coaches in three years, and I didn't feel like any of them now that I'm where I am. I don't feel like any of them knew what, knew what they were doing. Uh, then I, I went to college, graduated college, and I got a job in a, in a school in Texas and uh, had four different head coaches at our high school program in five years. So you put that together in, 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 in an eight-year stretch in high school in my first five years of coaching, I had seven different head coaches. The good news was I saw a lot of good things to do things, and I saw a lot of bad ways to do things. And uh, all I learned there was, you know, when you're coming out, especially at that age, you think you know everything. The only good thing that happened to me is I realized I didn't know anything. And uh, now I'm 51 years old and been doing it for 29 years, and I realized that I know about 10% of what I ought to know. And, and put all that together, and um, I uh, I was uh, at this current school I'm at, I was the offensive coordinator. and and. And I like to throw it around and do some different things. Obviously, I wasn't in charge of not punting and onside kicking. We were very much more traditional. But uh, then in uh, 2003, I became the head coach. And that's really where the, the evolution of what I do changed because I went in and I remember sitting down in my office and I was thinking, all right, I got this job. And then, I, then it hit me. It's like, how are you going to be that much better than the last guy? Because in the history of our school, we had never been past the final four. We had only been there twice in the history of the school. So it really hit me as like, wait a minute. So I started breaking down all the months, January to December and going, what are we doing and why are we doing it? I want to know why, because kids like to know why. And I want to be able to tell them, hey, why are we doing this in January? Or when it comes to game day, coach, why do we get there two and a half hours before a game starts? And through the course of asking why, I really changed so much of what I was doing to become a really weird football coach as somebody sees us now and all of it was all of it was uh uh you know to win games and I really thought it was really frowned upon when I first started diff doing it and now it's uh, a kind of a phenomenon that a lot of the media has taken hold of and now we've got web tv series about us and and it's <laughs> kind of covered by a lot of people but but uh that's kind of the long the long short story so to speak yeah, I suppose one of my favorite. I've managed to catch most of that uh, YouTube documentary covering you guys, and I think still uh, for a lot of the coaches watching, my favorite point of that, um, and I'm sure any coach would agree, is one of the coaches coming after the game and shaking your hand and just saying, "I completely admire everything you do. I, you know, like, we look up to you." And, and hearing that, and imagine from from not only you know a coach who you've just coached against, it must just be kind of almost like the peak of the iceberg for you, isn't it, in terms of that's probably what we all look for, that, that gratification of our, not only our peers, but our competitors as well. You know, that was a different one. I mean, those guys were wanting to play us, 
And uh, they, they had been asking me what we did before that in, in years that leading up to that. And I think they really did appreciate what we did on the field. And it's one of the few, you know, football is a passionate game. It's emotional. It's, most of the time if you get beat right after the game, you're not wanting to go over and tell the other coach. You know, you want to say good game and be all that kind of stuff, but you don't want to do like he did. And, you know, I get some of both. I get some that are still so mad that we're playing the game differently. They'll say it's not fair. <laughs> And then I get some like that that are like, hey, love what you're doing, love what you're teaching your kids as far as there's different ways to do things in life and that. And, and so now I get a little bit of both. You know, early on, it was just the opposite. Everybody hated it. Well, you're not doing things that everybody else are doing. It sucks to get ready for it. And, and you know, they ought to change the rules. And, and they have changed a lot of rules in the past 15 years for us. But, but overall, you're right. That, that's very gratifying what, that, what, what Coach came and told me. And, and the other thing, I'll tell you my favorite thing. And I'm a big believer in this. And, you know, everybody wants to say our kids try really hard. We work really hard. You know, I want to, I really want to do it if I'm going to say it where we really did. And my favorite thing is when a coach comes over after the game and goes, your kids played harder than my kids. That's my favorite thing to say, because that means you've gotten them to buy in, not a one game motivation, but you've gotten them to buy in that literally don't take plays off, go hard on the backside, all those kinds of things. So I'd say that's my favorite thing. Yeah, because I remember watching you. Go on, sorry, mate. I was going to say, sorry, I just yeah. remember watching you chew, chew a guy out because you, you had the fear that you'd have to say that to the opposing coach, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I've had to do that one time in the last five years, and I know the time it was where I walked over to that coach, and if they play harder than us, I'm going to tell them because I want that said to me. And, and I had to tell them, you, you know, your kids simply played harder than mine. And, and that never happens to my teams. And, and uh, man, that hurts to say it, but that told me how much it meant to me to say it. Because we all know this, the heart, you know, there's things that cover up mistakes and that bad balls, balls bounce funny, fumbles, balls are tipped, interceptions. The things that make up for those things, the random things that you don't have a ton of control over are playing hard and playing smart. And if you if you do those two things, you can overcome a lot of mistakes. You can overcome some size differentials and all that. And, and the one thing that you can control is is playing as hard as you can. And, and that, I want our kids to buy into that in the game and in life. And how do you go about instilling that in your teams? Because obviously, like you said, you've only had to do that the once where you felt as if the other team tried harder. How, how do you go about getting your teams to buy into that year after year? You know, it's a little easier now because now that we've built a program and the expectations are really high, if they let down, you know, they're going to be the group. And I tell them that that's known as the letdown group. You know, these other guys have built on and added on every year. You don't want to be the group that takes the step down. So I do it that way. You know, when I first started, you know, you find a way, you know, everybody's got different things that motivate them and different reasons that they want to try harder. For some people, they want to do it for their family up in the stands yelling for them. For some people, it's their girlfriend. You know, if I play hard, my girlfriend's going to give me a kiss tonight, you know, or whatever. <laughs> whatever. But I think that you find out everybody's button. I say everybody's got a button. And if you push that, they're going to try a little harder for you. And some kids you have to yell at. Some kids you have to motivate. Some kids have but, – but I try to find the button of each kid on my team throughout the offseason, and I try to utilize that during the season. But overall, you know, I, I tell them that, that – that, I think football is the greatest game in the world. I don't think I would be alive if it weren't for the game of football. And that's a long, that's a whole long other story. 
And, uh, but I know this, that, that if you choose to play something, if you choose to do something, then you ought to have the integrity and the pride to do it as well, as hard as you can. And when it does get hard, there's something that, that can keep you going is this. Everybody has thoughts about quitting things when they get hard, quitting a marriage. Cause God, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, relationships or a job or the game of football. It's out there here in the summer we're training. It's 130 degrees out on the turf. And it's easy to think, and this sucks. I might not want to do it anymore. But what you have to do is remember, it's not how you feel right now. Because an hour after we finish practice, you're not going to feel this. You're not going to remember it hurt and it sucked and it was hard. But you will remember an hour from now if you quit. And mm. so don't think about how you feel now. Think about how will you feel after you're done. Will you be proud of how hard you played in practice or the game? And if you can say, yes, I'll beat, then you're doing enough. And if you can't say, I'll be proud of how hard I went right now in this game or in this practice, then you're not doing enough. And so throw all those together, and I kind of use all those to motivate the kids to play hard. It's one of, so for us, Coach, in the U.K., one of the things we struggle with is consistency of players from one year to the next. So I coach in university football. We don't, you know, we've got a whole new team every year. So I hear what you're saying about the, you've already built something, so kids are almost buying into it in advance. But we're getting players who've no experience of the game in some cases. So I, I, what you're saying to maybe to our coaches was to invest in the players, find out about them a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, you know, I we I don't know how you guys, I don't know how your coaches are over there. If you've got one thing right after the other, but I, I know this: I, I try to find time after practice to really go up and talk to. First of all, I'm always going to talk to our kids about non-football stuff after practice, about life. I give them a little motivational thing in life. Because I, I think if you do that, they realize you care about them as people, as human beings, not just football players. Everybody will tell you that a little bit. But I think you got to go above and beyond and really find a way to connect with a kid. And, and the other thing is, is I would find a way that fit that situation to motivate them. I remember when we, my first year here, we didn't have a traditional program, you know, that, that people could that, – that the guys didn't want to let down, that we had not done anything as a program. So in that year, I motivate them, don't you all want to be the one – the first ones to win this, to make it out of the final four. And then it was, do you want to be the first ones ever to win a state championship? And then it was, do you want to be the first one, you know, God, it was 10 years in, we'd never been undefeated. Do you want to be the first team to go undefeated? And and people like to be the first. I mean, you know, we want to be the first ones on the moon. You know, we want to be the first ones to do this. People like being the first. So, so I try to find those little things. And, you know, here we are, here I am 18 years later, and we've won nine state championships. Going into our state championship game, you know, we were the first ones to ever recover, I think, in the game of football in the on the planet across all levels. We were the first one to ever recover four onside kicks in a half because nobody else even kicks four in a game. And in the state championship game, we recovered four and a half. There's something to kids like being the first, at least ours do. You know, no matter what year they were in, I can always use them to motive that to motivate them. I had a kid this year that he fell 59 yards short in the rushing category of being the first human being that's ever walked the face of this earth to have 2,000 yards rushing and a thousand receiving in the same year. Now, what do, what do you use? You know, I use that with my linemen. Don't y'all want to be the first guys that blocked for a guy that got to do this? My quarterback. Don't you want to be the first one that threw to a guy? Defense, don't you only be the first one that got the ball back for this kid, you know? And so I think that's another thing is I found that no matter what age, what, what year, 
who they are. Kids like to be the first to do stuff, so I do that. I give our, our onside kick team, make them onside kick t-shirts. You are the only ones on planet to have a PA Bruin onside 2020 football team. And just the 11 guys that are on that get that. And people like to be the first and the only, so I use that a ton too. Yeah, I was going to say, well, didn't you score 56 points in a quarter? No, right. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was last year, I think. And it, and it all kind of went right. We got three onside kicks in the first quarter of that one. And it was uh, kind of a little bit of a rivalry school, and, and they were good, and we knew we were going to have a big game. But when you score 56 in the first quarter, it's not really going to be a good game anymore. <laughs> no, that, that's going to put that one to bed real quick, isn't it? Yeah, that <laughs> did. That did. <laughs> then you're trying to figure out how to not run up the score on them. <laughs> yeah, how to make it classy towards the end. Uh, yeah, because I think you only scored like 64 to win, didn't you? So it was more, yeah, I'm assuming that second half you had your third strings, your cheerleaders in. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, we do. You know, we get we get in trouble every once in a while. This is going to be crazy. We I, I didn't know. I don't pay attention. But every once in a while we're on ESPN or something, and Vegas will do high school games. And Las Vegas set a line on a game. And uh, we're up on a team, and I don't know what the line was. I, I didn't want to pay attention because I don't ever be accused of doing something you're not supposed to. And uh, I, I got a dirty email or something afterwards because we got up like 62 to 7. So I guess we were covering the spread. I put in all of our young guys because I always do that. And yeah. for developmental reasons, for classy, for all this. And they scored 20 more points, and it was 62 to 27, I think. So we didn't cover the spread, I found out. You know, and dude's mad at me. You know, he sends me a dirty email. You know, I lost $500. I'm like, hey, I didn't make it about the $500. I don't even know who you are, you know, that kind of thing. But, but no, you, you got to do what you got to do. And, and it's all in development, too. There's no better practice for a young player that doesn't belong in the game right then because he's too young and not developed yet than to put him in that game. That's the single best experience. It makes up for 100 practices to get in that game and be able to play a series. So we make sure we get them in. Matter of fact, I've done something even different this year. We went and played the number two team in the state beside us overall, second game of the year. And I'd never done this before, but I was, I was thinking, you know what? I'm always thinking big picture, developing our kids. So our, our youngest kids on our team, 10th graders, I made all of our coaches at their position play every kid in the first quarter at least one play. Now, you talk about – and this was right before the game. So, they didn't get to practice them like this. Our coaches are all upset and mad at me. It's like, oh, my gosh. You know, I'm like, it's one play. So, what you're going to do is you got to coach yourself into, okay, I'm either going to put them all in in one play at my position and I'm going to call something bland in general. Maybe they can't help. Or you position guys will work together and you'll section it off and we'll call something that will hide them. But it makes you a better coach, too as well as these kids now will go and say, if we win this game, and we were lucky enough to win it, if we win this game, they will really believe they played a part in it. And what kind of practice you think they'll have next week? It's going to be fantastic because these kids played in the first quarter of a big-time television game, and they thought they wouldn't get to play any. So, you know, I'm always thinking a little outside the box and differently, but I'm always thinking big picture and development of the kids in the program. That's brilliant because one of the comments we've just been asked actually was, do you have a philosophy regarding playing young players and non-starters on special teams? Yeah. Uh, I, I, that's that's directly related to special teams. Uh, what you're saying there is you don't just put it to one one side of the field or one specific part of the game. It's if you play that position, you'll get your reps and you'll get your experience that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he, he asked the question about special teams. We try our best to play as few starters on special teams as possible. 
and we'll play backups because now they become a starter. We have an onside kick team. We might have seven kids on there that don't ever play anything else that year because yeah. they're sophomores. But if you give them one task and say, you know, we score a lot, so you get to kick off eight times a game, you get to be on the field eight times in meaningful parts that help us win games. They'll go out there and cure them, kill themselves for you. And then at the same time, you can hold it over their head and practice. If you don't <laughs> practice hard enough, if you don't give us a good look on scout team, you're off that team too. And so we do that there on kickoff return, you know, in different situations. And then, then as soon as we can, we get them in the game when we get up, uh, you know, by, by a large enough margin and get them to play a whole series, not just a play here and a play there. And so player development, but more than that, we got 22 different kids that start, start the game. And we're not a big school. We shouldn't have that. But then we've got, you know, seven more on kickoff and five more on kickoff return. Before you look at it, we've got – in the first quarter of the game, we've got 40 of our 53 kids will play in the very first quarter. And that's player development, and that keeps the numbers wanting to come out and all those things. So when it, when it comes to your overall philosophy and this whole you don't punt, and we've seen it on the show that's online and things – where, where did that come from? We've had a, a question from the, the chairman of BAFCA here as well. What's the philosophy behind never punting? And have you ever doubted that philosophy into a game before? You know, the, the never punting thing came the first year I was coaching because it was before analytics were even a word that was used in sports and before Moneyball came out. I don't know if you are familiar with that book. that yeah. really focused on analytics in baseball. And it was before that. This was 2003. And, and I was – I asked the question, we got to the, you know, we, I did the off season. Why are we doing this weight kind of thing? Why do we do this pregame meal? And I got on the field and I set my coaches down and I said, Hey, why, you know, why are we running this offense? We talked about that. I got, I got to punting. Why are we punting? Well, because field position coach, you got a field position's huge, you know? And I happened, I was started doing research and I saw a, a Harvard professor that had done something with field position and it made sense to me not to punt. And I thought, you know, if we don't do this, and, you know, they're, 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 and use that extra down, you know, how will that help us win games? And so asking why and not punting really started that. Then as when the money ball came out, it became okay from coaches to ask questions about why they were doing things and analytics became a thing. And then it was kind of proven that we were on the right track that I'd started it before everybody else. We were on the right track. And then that all said, you know, it, it led to me, learning that if you're not going to punt, you're not going to spend time on it and practice nearly as much. So that's an extra 10 minutes or 12 minutes you can use for something else. So then there was the butterfly effect. He asked also, did you ever doubt that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think every time we go out on the field, <laughs> if you make a tough decision, there's times you doubt it. That's why, you know, I've read study, I've read so much, so many psychological books, but I read one on, on making decisions based on emotion and how we perform worse when we are yeah. emotional and, you know, I try to make as many of those decisions before the game as I can, for instance, okay, if you score the touchdown and go up, you know, seven points and there's four minutes left, are you going to onside kick? Most people would say, no, I want to make that decision before I'm in the emotional moment of that game. You know, are yeah. you going to punt if it's fourth and 15 on your own 10 yard line? I'm going to make that decision before I get there because who knows what you're going to do when you're there. You might be like, Oh no. So, yeah, I've doubted myself, but in the end, I try to make the decision before I get out there. So even when the doubt creeps in, it's already done. So for me, I, I watched, the, obviously, the program on yourselves and the school and 
are completely bored into that philosophy of yours. Like this is why I was saying it's like Christmas for me to have you come on here and talk to us. By the way, <laughs> I ran. Uh, we we done it in our university program last season, and there was one game. It was a game that we needed to win to get into the playoffs, and we didn't we didn't get a fourth down basically. And all the guys came up to me and they're like, we should have punted on that down. I was like, we have not practiced punt. Why are we going to do that now? We've went all season. We haven't practiced punt at all. And you fell short by a yard. We've done all of the rest of it. There's been four, there's been like another six or seven times that we've scored on in this game going for it on fourth down. And it's just that one that we're getting criticized for now. So how how do you react to when people say something like that? Because for me, I just wiped I just wiped it off. If I'm completely honest, and I was like, it's worked every other time. It's just one time that it hasn't worked. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's easy for people, and it's natural for people in the media, especially with social media, to jump out and say whatever they think. But it's easy for them, and, and you've got to accept as a coach that they get to do that. I get to sit yeah. here on Sundays and watch NFL game and go, what is he doing? You know, and and. And, and I think you just got to know that's human nature. I think, though, you know, I get, to, I get the good fortune of being on things like this where I get to explain what I'm thinking. I get, but, but, but people have to know that as a coach, nobody wants to lose. Nobody wants to fail. And if you're the head coach or the offensive or defensive coordinator that gets to pick a philosophy out, you know, you don't go in there and go, you know what, I'm going to pick one that causes us to lose. Nobody does that. So if you believe that, then you believe that the coach wants to win. He's going to do what he thinks is best. And not only that, I'm going to go a step further. I think we, if we're integrity type people, we have the, we, we should do what we think gives our team the best chance to win. That's what we're charged with. And if you believe that, and, and if everybody else believes that you don't want to lose, then why else would you not punt? Why else would you choose to not punt? Because you're an idiot if you're trying to lose. And you're not yeah. going to have a job very long. So they ought to. So I try to convince them. You should want me to do this because I believe this is what's best. You ought to want your coach to do what he believes in. I mean, should I start punting on third down, and because you think that's better just to play defense, you know? I mean, or are you going to do what the head coach, his desire and his selling of his team and what he's practicing and all that? So I just know that it comes with the territory. And it still gets to you a little bit, and they'll try to use the one moment against you. All you can do is 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 be committed to what you really think is best, and and continue that. Because I think if you start to jump around, I've had a lot of coaches that say, "Man, I tried it for three weeks and just gave up." Well, then your kids know you weren't really committed to it. You didn't really believe in it, or they'll realize that you're easily uh, manipulated by other people in the stands yelling at you or whatever. Then what do you have? the guy that manipulates you the best wins. And so I think all that goes into it, but I, I stand up and tell our parents every year, Hey, look, this is what I believe in. Uh, and if you're yelling at me during the game that I'm an idiot, that's not helping your kid have a better experience. That's not certainly not helping their confidence in us winning. And if your goal is to win and my goal is to win, how's that going to help? I have that. I have that. I tell them that every single year and you still have some people going coaches an idiot, you know, and but but in the end, you got to be committed to something. I mean, if 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 I go down there and and kid, people start yelling at me on the street, I don't know why you married your wife. You know, and I'm not going to go to force her. I mean, I'm committed, so I'm not going to let other people tell me different than what I know. I'm not going to lie, Coach. If you told me to leave my missus, I'm going. 
right. And I respect you saying that. Not a lot of guys would go, go out on the limb and say that. She called Gerard. That's fine. <laughs> it's a safe zone, and she's definitely not watching. Um, Adam, you had a comment you wanted to pull up. Yeah, so we've had this from David Stretch. I read something about you having the idea of designing players where three players touch the ball to create explosives. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I I look for, you know, we built our team. I say we, you know, along the way, starting off, we won that, we, we won a championship early in my career, you know, and when I became the head coach. And I started looking for things that would help our team win that other people weren't looking at. Now, this is going to sound terrible. Maybe not as bad to you guys because you're kind of new into football as far as, you know, relatively new in, 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 in Europe, but, but compared to what we're in. But everybody's teaching their kids to block and tackle, right? I mean, people say fundamentals, fundamentals. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to be that much better than you are at it, and that guy's not going to be that much better at teaching them to block and tackle. Some kids, if they're big and strong – they're going to be able to block better than other kids. I don't care what their technique like is like. So I'm going to spend enough time on that. To, my kids aren't bad at it, but I'm going to spend extra time on things that make it the biggest difference in winning or losing. Nobody can prove to me that because you can block better than the other team, that you can continue to block better no matter what kids you have. That's not, that's not going to happen. And nobody can prove to me that just because you can block better means you're going to win. But I can tell you this. I know that 81% of all games in the game of football are won by who has the most plays over 20 yards. I'm going to build my team around that. I can, I can make a difference in that that other guys aren't doing. I know that 77% uh, of all games are won by who has the most quarterback sacks here in America. So we're going to blitz and try to create that quarterback sack. So what I'm saying is I took the th things that win games overall the most and built our philosophies around those. So to get to your question – one of those things is 20-yard plays. So I went and studied as much as I could find. What is the biggest difference? Is it throwing it to a stud vertically down the field? And what I found is this, non-stationary pass routes, okay? I'm not going to throw a lot of curl routes or a lot of stop routes because those aren't good run after the catch to get you 20 yards. So 20-yard uh, plays in the form of non-stationary routes. And then I found something where, you know, trick plays, on most of the time, forget the center, but two people touch the ball, the quarterback and whoever he hands it to or the quarterback and whoever he throws it to. But if you look at plays that more than two people touch the ball, there's a higher percentage of those 20-yard plays. So when I was looking at those, and I haven't seen a number on that, you just start really watching games. And when people do that, it's a higher percentage of 20-yard plays. So I started thinking of all the ways you could do that. Some of it's trick plays and reverses. And then we started laddering that, lateraling down the field. And, you know, and, and, and that made a difference. I at first wanted us to play a little rugby style, but you couldn't get the kids to do it because they're beating the head with don't turn the ball over. And they thought, coach, if I pitch it, you just don't know if it'll be, you know, if we'll fumble it or not. So I had to actually go back, rewash their brains and just do design hook and lateral plays. And we've had a phenomenal amount of success doing design hook and laterals. And I don't mean at the end when you have to, when you're losing, I mean, in the first quarter in the middle of the game when they don't expect it. This year we were up six, I think, uh, on our own nine-yard line. And, man, we're playing a team that we probably should be beating, but they're right there with us. We're on our own nine, hook and lateral 91 yards later. The game's over with because we do that. We get an onside kick and it's on. So I'm talking about, you know, I came up with those because they fall into the analytics category of who wins the most games. 
And so pitching the ball around or more than two people touching the ball, the quarterback and one other person, leads to that kind of stuff. So, so that's how I got there, and that's why we do that. Tell you what, uh, one thing I'm not looking forward to playing um, British American football for all the coaches who are watching this. It's going to be crazy from now on. I think uh, I think everyone's going to be running hook and ladders and kicking everywhere. And I don't and I don't want you doing it. I don't want you know. Everybody's like, do you get on there trying to convince them? Are you mad when they don't do it? No, I don't want you to. You're because I've got an advantage right now. Why do I want everybody else doing this? You know, as the game in America, as they start going for it on fourth down more. No, don't do it. You know. I always said if everybody started doing it, I would quit talking about it because I, you know, I don't yeah. want it. So, you're just normal then. You just want to host yeah. coach. So now I'm going to tell you all, if you do it, you're going to get yelled at a lot by people in the stands, and you might get fired. So don't do it. Just don't even try it. <laughs> so here's my question for you, Coach. If the numbers ever showed you that it stopped working, would you change what you do? Would yes. you start hunting? Yes. If somebody can prove to me we're doing the wrong thing, no question. Because the ultimate goal is the W. I want we want to win because winning. I mean, the world's competitive. You know, my kids are going to go out and compete for jobs. They're going to compete for colleges. They're going to compete for all these things. You, everybody can say what they want, and we can give trophies out to everybody for participating. But that ain't the real, real world. They need to learn that winning is important, and also football's hard. I mean, the physical part over here. You know, we started January the fourth in off season. And it's 20 degrees outside and, and the wind's blowing. And then in the summer, it'll be 135 on the turf and we'll be out there competing. And then at the end of the year, it's going to be cold again. So football's hard and you're getting hit and you've got to think where guys are trying to kill you. The reward for all that is winning games. That's part of the reward. There's other rewards they won't realize for 10 more years about the camaraderie and the life lessons. But they need to feel Friday night over here is when we play. A Friday night win, and they're ready to go back Monday and do it all again. Friday night, lose a couple of those in a row, and I don't even know if I want to go back out there and do it again. So I sure wouldn't want to if I'm getting beat around like them. No, com completely agree. I think uh, I think that really feeds into – so if you're going to do it, make sure you're winning because otherwise it's a, it's a short career in, in coaching, I take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So, uh, so coach, go on, sorry, Mike. No, you go ahead, Matt. Sorry. No, you're all right, mate. Go on. So, coach, what I wanted to ask is, um, obviously we discussed this prior, but do you have any like film or anything of where you can show some of your offense? Um, yeah. You know, it, it. I've got various things pulled up, and um, I've got onside kicks pulled up. I've got how uh, you know, we we don't punt on fourth down, so how kind of changes the thinking on third down. I've got in-game adjustments. I've got something pulled up for everything. Since we did the 20-yard play, I'll uh, – uh, since we talked about that, that's the number one thing in football at Termers, who's going to win and good. I'll show you a couple of that, and then if y'all want to do that, if y'all want to yeah, yeah. watch some of that, we'll do that. Oh, 100%. And then, uh, yeah. And then we'll get into the uh, – we'll get some more – we'll deep dive a bit more into the special team stuff after that. Okay. Um, is this – is this show am – I, am I showing y'all screen right now? Yeah, we got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm big, first of all, if we're talking about 20-yard plays, I'm big on play design, and a lot of teams do different things in the passing game, but we're a true uh, read team, and, and that means we read a defender. Um, instead of doing a progression, that means, okay, we're going to look at this guy first. If he's not open, we're going to throw it to him. If he's not open, we're going to throw it to him. Uh, but we're a true read a team, uh, basically given a, uh, uh, given a pre-snap, read by the quarterback that'll determine who was going to who we're going to read and that and, and I'll get I'll try to get into that but 
as I show you this one first, everything's designed to be, um, for lack of a better way to put it, everything's designed to be catch and run pretty much unless we have to. So this is a play where what we're going to do is we're going to take this guy and this is their safety. He's designed to run inside the safety. He's going to run right outside the safety. So no matter where this guy is, here, here, he's going to go inside him. He's going to go outside him. And he's just going to run a wheel route out of the back, uh, uh, out of that slot. Now, what we're doing is our quarterback will read him. If he stays up right here, then we know he's going to stay with the wheel. Then we will read this guy, and we will either throw it to the guy that runs inside him or the guy that runs outside him. And I'll show you this play in a, from three different directions, uh, or this this play in three different games. But if if he if this guy runs with him, this receiver then I know the safety is going to run with him. We will automatically throw it to him. So play design's a big thing, but teaching how we're going to run it. Now, when he came down, we knew it was probably man-to-man, -man, and he's staring at him. So what did I say? If he runs with him, we're probably automatically going to throw that no matter what. And since he is staring at him, we know that's probably, and we use that word with my quarterback probably. So as you'll look, sure enough, he runs inside with him. He's trying to get outside him. We're going to throw it to him immediately. Now, the reason that's important – now, that's a great throw and catch and all that. The reason that's important, this kid's not any faster than this kid, trust me. This is the biggest school in our state. They've won uh, three state championships at their level. But when you're asking a guy to run out a lot, what do we run? We run out routes and we run bubbles. They take dumb angles. And this gives us an advantage. And so we're able to get a yard open on it. Okay, and and that's a that makes a little bit of a difference. Now I'm going to show you the well, not the same play. I'm going to show you the true read part of the play. A true read part of the play. Here's the same formation. On this play, we're going to run a post in here, a deep curl right here, and we're run a crossing route right there. Based off this coverage, if they're far apart, we'll auto throw the post. But if they're not, we're going to read this guy right here. If he drops back with the deep curl which we don't want to throw anyway, I want to throw the crossing, then we will, uh, then we will throw his crossing route. If he, stay, if he starts to drop back but comes up, we'll throw the deep curl who's going to curl in underneath that safety. So my quarterback, when he takes the snap, is going to turn. He's reading this guy right here, and he's waiting for this guy to get across. Notice they all drop. Now, we have a rule with my quarterback. If you're not sure, is he covering him or is he covering him? If you're not sure, throw the deepest one. Really, he could have thrown it to the crosser or he could have thrown it to there, and, but he throws it to the deepest guy. Boom, and then you just catch it and get what you can get and go from there. So that's a true read that we do that I think is a lot different than other people. Those guys that uh, – now, the other thing is we run a lot of misdirect. I don't like to – I mean, we will line up and run the ball – but we very do what people over here call inside zone. We don't even have an inside zone kind of blocking scheme. I'm a lot of misdirection and stuff like that. We call this a running play. I mean, it's counted as a pass play, but we call it a running play. And notice you'll see the entire line go this way because we're gap blocking. And then we'll pull the backside guard and tackle. But we've got quarterback coming this way, running back coming this way. Anything that's a little different is stuff that we try to do. And it'd be amazing. And now I say all that to say, 
we also have to have various things out of here. I will pitch it to him and run outside zone with him. So we've got an outside zone. We've got the, 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 the kind of the counter back to it. And then we've got three or four pass plays out of this set right here too. So when we line up in this, they can't say, oh, when they line up in that, they're doing, you know, one thing. You can't tell us that because we're doing a bunch of different things. But that's another 20-yard play for us right there. I just showed you that, that, that play before here, right here, where we read the, uh, read the, say, the linebacker over there and looked for the crossing and the curl. Here's the same exact play. And on the three-receiver side, we'll run a post, and we'll run a deep curl, and we'll run a crosser. And again, my quarterback knows our read is the outside linebacker. If he drops, we'll throw the cross. If he stays up, we'll throw the deep curl. And then I add little things to it as I've, as I've grown as a coach. And that is, what's odd is if your quarterback has to slide away from the side of the read, if he'll look back and find the read, you'll be amazed at the other guy, the defenders that slide and make the guy really, really open. So here's what I'm talking about. So we're going, and he's supposed to be making his read. He looks and sees this guy stay square to the line of scrimmage. So he already knows I'm throwing curl, if at all possible. But look, we didn't do a good job blocking, and so he's going to have to move because he's not ready yet. He's not he's not stopped, and we're not going to throw it vertical because he knows he's curling. Watch my quarterback slide. Now watch this. He knows my read's over here. So go back, find my read. He's still flat. So now I'm going to throw it back to that side. Now, because he moved that way, he moved that way. The safety moved that way. If you could just get the throw off, it's a nice, easy throw, catch and run. And so that's what a true, when I talked about true reads earlier, that's what I meant by a true read, is we're reading a defender and, and going from there. This is This is – on the same type of situation, we had a play here. We're going to run him across and, and fake to him and do something else. But if I, the other thing that I do, I think that's better than other people on offense that gets us 20-yard plays, is if I, I if you ever played Madden football or NCAA football on Xbox or PlayStation, you can push the little button and it lays all the arrows down on the field of where they're all going to run. I can do that in my mind and I see a one high safety and a corner out here and these two guys are short and I, I can go, what is an obvious, if I could somehow put this guy right here immediately, then we could just throw him the ball and that's going to end up being a 20 yard play. So I have a deal where I can check and I have a word for any of these receivers that I want where the other ones will do something to hold the closest guy to them and I put another guy where I want to. And then we'll just say, Hut, no matter what we've got called, I'll yell a word. These guys all know what to, to, to that now that we're gonna we're gonna drop back pass block, and these guys all three know what to do based off of one word. So I can yell Jello, and these guys all know immediately. Just say Sad Hut. We snap it, and this isn't the play. There's that open. I can get them there. It's Sad Hut. Throw him the ball. And notice what we did with these other guys. We run him out to get his eyes to go here. We run him in so he doesn't fly back underneath, and he's got his attention too. Boom, and it's throw immediately. So not only do we have good play design, and I'm trying to – I know this is kind of the quick way to look at this. Not only is it good play design, what it is is – what it is is it's the chance to – gosh dang it. 
what it is is it's the chance to to call a play that fits a defense immediately and run it quickly. Here's the last read play I'll show you guys that helped us get there is intermediate passing, throwing the ball between, look, there's safeties that are always deep. They're always told, don't let guys get behind you. Don't give them a 40-yard bomb. You got these guys that got to play run and they got to play the short pass. We like throwing intermediate passes. I'll bet we throw a higher percentage of intermediate passes than anybody in the world. And to do that, you have to make reads and design it to, for it to happen that way. So like this is one of our better highest percentage plays. And and if anybody's watching, and now here's my plug, you can go on coachtube.com and I've got five unstoppable plays. I've got the building blocks for our passing game. But the, the common theme you'll see in all of them are if we play a zone team, we design plays to make one read and we hold everybody else. This guy's going to occupy him. This guy's going to occupy him. This guy's going to occupy him. We are going to – the quarterback's going to read him and and uh, my one and my receiver is going to get open on him. So if you'll watch, we're going to run a little quick out right here, and we're going to run this guy on the intermediate crossing route behind, and we're going to read him. If he steps out, we're going to throw that crosser. If he runs back with him, we're going to throw that quick quick out because he ain't going to get to him. He's got to run all the way through him to get to him. So you look, he stays flat. My quarterback knows now I'm going to throw it to him as soon as I'm able to. He's going to watch this guy. If he drops back, he's going to stop. If he comes out, he's going to keep on running. So you watch. This guy comes out. My quarterback knows he's going to run right past him. And there you see it. Now you got a catch and run 20-yard play. And we're designed to do just that. But I make it really easy on my quarterback. you got to read one guy. If everybody else runs the route, they'll hold those guys. you just got to worry about that guy. Boom. He stays short. Now, if he would have dropped back, we would have just thrown it to him. And who would have been out there to tackle him? He would have been back with him. So everything we do is kind of based on that. And then here's another one of those where we looked up and saw this guy playing up close. This safety is over the ball instead of in the middle of the field. So we've got one word we can call where these guys will all hold their guys short. And this guy is going to run something out here. So but you've got to be able to do it within five seconds because if you can't from five seconds after you say go, y'all have got to be able to snap it and do it because the other teams can change defenses. There's the little fake. There's the throw it out there. There's nobody out there because this guy's playing up short and it's not even a good throw. It's floated up there. We just say, make sure you complete it. So that all said, I think play design and 20 yard plays are extremely important. And most of the time, we do it because we're catch and run. Look here. We tell this guy, your job is to get outside him. We're going to read them. If the guy runs right past and the corner stays flat, we're going to throw it before the safety can get over. If this guy turns and runs, we're just going to throw it out underneath him. We're high low and everybody, there he is, high low, throw it to him, get it to him so he can catch it and run, catch it and run. You look up, you got 17 yards. And so – that's the way we design all of our plays. Some coaches will say, now, why is 20 yards important? And the reason a 20-yard play, I don't like to know the analytic. I like to know why. If you average five yards of play and you start on your own 20-yard line, you've got to run 16 plays to make five-yard average to score a touchdown. Well, in 16 plays, something's going to happen where you get an offensive penalty or, give up a, or you give up a sack or something like that, and the whole drive's derailed. 
But if you throw a 20, 20 yard play in there, all of a sudden that 16 plays went down to 12 plays you've got to run. Well, we might be able to string together 12 plays and, and score on a drive. And that's why the 20 yard thing is really, really important. And again, it's all play design. You know, this is, here's a guy right here. We're going to run a guy underneath him and a guy over the top of this guy right here because he's inside. And our quarterback just has to read a guy and, and throw the football. It's not that hard. And I, I say it's not that hard. It was hard when I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but but once you get into loving play design, and not only that, you can truly say, well, what if the guy does this? You know, how, how do you work to play off that? And there's not an answer for a defensive coach because I think I've proven over the last 15 years, we've got 16,500 schools that, that uh, play football. We've been in the top 10 in offense, average of 560 yards a game, for every year except for one out of 16,000. That's proof that it kind of works no matter what, no matter what kids are – or here's another important point. I showed you all that play a while ago with a little counter where we're, we're all blocking this way except pulling the guard and tackle. The other thing is people don't forget what, you know, what, what seems like is a bad idea is a really good idea. We always want our kids to hustle. But we teach the kids three things when they have the ball. One, patience. If we've got a play design, we've got a guy out in front of you. Be patient. So you'll see this kid coming and jogging because he's waiting before he hits it. And the other thing is we always tell kids, get what you can get and get out of bounds. Don't go try to run somebody over because we want you to be healthy next week, not hurting while you're playing. But look, he's going jogging behind until he sees what he likes. Then he'll kind of hit it and go. And that's important, too, is the patience because – I used to have kids outrun these guys. He would have ran past that little fat, slow lineman and getting right there and been tackled. And he would have had an eight-yard gain, but we don't want eight. We want as many as we can get. So we teach all those little things. And, and the kids know 20-yard plays, 20-yard plays, coach. 20-yard plays is what we're looking for. So then they start buying into all these things. Now, we don't, I don't, I show this because I rarely believe in my guy beating your guy. You look and you go, that safety can't help all the way over here. We'll just run him on a go route. I don't think my guy's ever going to beat your guy. That's a low percentage pass. So if we ever go one on one, my guy runs double moves or read routes. For instance, on this one, he can run a skinny post go, or if he doesn't have that guy beat, he can sit down. And our quarterback has to wait until he sees the shoulders turned to know to throw it. I'm not going to just count on him to run a skinny post and beat the guy or a go route. So he goes and starts beating him, and he probably almost had him beat. But he decides right there, I'm not far enough past him. I'm going to put my foot down on the ground, come back, and that's how we're going to beat people in one-on-one. -on -one. So even when we're one-on-one, -on -one, we run read routes where he could have done one of two things, and he's reading the defender. So not a lot of guys – uh, I think are, are running enough of those. We're just saying run it on go and beat the guy. Those are very, very, very low percentage passes. I want to be able to draw things up like this one uh, that can do that. So some people say, well, what if your line just can't block those their guys? Well, then I sprint them out because in a sprint out, you just have to block one guy because these guys aren't going to catch him. They might if he stops, but we got to get rid of the football. So now we're going to sprint them out, move the pocket around, and we work hard on those things. And notice even on that one, we got three different levels of guys. We got deep and we got out and short because most of the time they'll have two level guys 
guarding that. So if we've got three levels, one of them is going to be open if we do a good spacing job on that. And so, again, play design and catching it where they're moving is a big, big thing on on that. I don't know how many of my routes you've seen where my guys are stationary. Here's another easy read route. We're going to run a dig where he stops in here. We're going to run across in front, across behind, and we're going to read this guy. He stays flat, so now we can either throw the dig or throw this crosser, the, the second crosser. He decides he, wait, he has to move a little bit, so he throws that. Again, non-stationary route, catch and run. It's all in play design and then teaching your guys how to run those plays. So that's the 20-yard that's the play part. And, again, I didn't show you any of the crazy stuff where we're, where we're uh, uh, doing that. Now I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Third and fourth down. We talk about not punting. When I first started, um, when I first started, I hope I popped back on here. I, I did stop sharing. I don't know what happened. Y'all still there? Yeah, 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 we're still here. Yeah. Am I am I am I still sharing? I'm trying not to share. No, no, you need to come back to. Oh, the, there we are. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Um, I, I'm gonna go back to it in just a second. But w- when I started the the not punting, it, uh, back in '03, when we were 2003, we were doing it. I always thought if I get to third and 10, we're about a 60% completion percentage team. So we'll just run two plays where the guy runs 10 yards. And if I got a 60% completion percentage, one of the two will catch it. And that's the way I did it for the first four or five years. And then I realized, wait a minute, on third and 10, everybody's guarding 10 yards. What if we throw a screen pass or we can still run them because they've got five in the box or, or whatever, do what, do what they give you that's more open and higher percentage. And if we get a first down, great. If we don't, that's okay. And you'd be amazed at how many times that works. And what I mean is on third and 10, if teams want to move back their coverage and, and line up, I think the second hardest thing to do in football is, is open field tackle. So we don't mind throwing the ball five yards and making them tackle it. I don't mind running the football and making somebody tackle us because we've got one more guy in the box than they've got because it's third and 10. And they're used to putting a certain number of guys, you know, back at 10 yards to take care of the pass or whatever. So, so I guess um, what I'm saying is, as I've done it in the game and, and I've learned more about it, I've learned how to really change our play calling uh, from that scenario. And here's an example. This is our state championship game uh, this year. And so I'm going to show you third down, fourth down, and kind of what we're thinking. This is third and five, and, you know, I, I like – notice they had they had six or seven in the box, so we're going to throw it. It didn't matter to me if I called run or pass. I'm just doing based on what looks to be the most open. But the beauty of it is we don't mind throwing a ball down the field on third and five. That's a lower percentage play because we know we've got fourth down. So we can still go – you know, we cleared out the middle and tried to get him inside on a catch-and-run pass. And we couldn't get there. But we know we've got fourth down and five. Now, on fourth and five, we do a better job of play design. They did a bad job of lining up. But now we've got rub route, throw it underneath, as you can see here. So there's rub, throw, easy catch. There's our first down. So when you've got third down and anything goes, you can mess up other people's tendencies on you, uh, that kind of thing. So here's a third and five again. This is a this is a, a read route where we run out and up, and if you've got him beat, you can keep going, and if you don't, you turn around and stop. 
And we can do those lower percentage plays on third and five again because I know I've got fourth down. So you line up, you look, there's the out and up. <laughs> and, you know, we look up and we see that this safety's here. So I tag that route on there because that safety was too far on the other side. So who's going to guard this guy deep? Nobody. So we're just going to throw it to him instead. But on third and five, anything goes when you're doing this. Now, the other part of this I'll say is if you're an offensive coordinator, you need to be able to tag anything anywhere. We're running out and up, and I saw that, and normally he's going to help block that D in because we're sprinting out. But I just tagged him with that quick flag route because I saw that big opening. And now our quarterback just knows I'm probably going to throw that unless that corner jumps in there. Sure enough, he didn't jump in there, so we're just going to throw it immediately and get some yards. So being able to adapt as a play caller is a really big deal. Third and one for us is like second and one for anything else. And that second one, everybody says, that's your best thing to do. This is a low percentage play, but it's a big percentage play. We're going to take and we're going to run. We don't even, we never line up with a tight end. They should have known something was weird. I mean, never line up with a tight end. We're going to fake a bad handoff, sprint away to make it look like we're running this way. And then run that guy off with our tight end. And then just quickly flip it back out to our running back. Play design and being able to know when to call them is huge. Um, I, I think some guys literally call plays out of a hat. You know, here's a third down where we're reading the corner. We run a guy on a flag and a guy on an out, and we're going we're gonna to throw based off what he doesn't do. He, he decides to run in. We're going to throw this quick out right here. Now, third and five or third and seven, that's not a good seven-yard play for us. But what did I tell y'all? I said – uh, open field tackling to me is the second hardest thing to do in football. This kid's not a great open field guy, catches the ball. It's going to be fourth and three, but make a guy miss. And now you got a first down after all. We may, we throw a high percentage pass because I don't care to, to go past the sticks because I know we've got fourth down. So being able to adapt to what they're doing, calling a good play off of it and play design, then throw in that third down of it doesn't matter what you do, and you've got anything you want, really. Here's another one. I look up. We've got a completely different play design, a play called. But look up. I see him up tight. Look at all that open space. I can yell out one word, and within five seconds, and we practice that. We have a section every day in practice called call a play. So I'll call a play and then check play. So I'll yell the one word, and we have to run it in five seconds. So same thing here. And, and teach your guys how to run good routes. We're not just going to run a flag, as you'll see with him. We're going to go up, push in, and then wait till he turns and break it out. Because we can't beat him by one-on-one, -on -one, but we can beat him if we put different moves on him. Boom, in, out, throw. We're just throwing to open spaces. But And people go, well, a good DC would stop you. I mean, I've been coaching uh, the head coach 18 years, and we average 560 yards a game. And our biggest biggest uh, games of the year are when we play the best teams because then we have to play our guys the whole game instead. And so we played the number two team in Tennessee. We have ten, we had 700 yards. We played uh, uh, we went down to Tyler, Texas, and played their 6A team that went to the quarterfinals. And we had 750 yards of offense. It's just if you can design good plays, call good plays, and have a reason for calling it. 
okay, really have a reason for calling it, then you're going to be successful. Here's another example, the third down. Third down, I don't run a good play here. We decide to run because there's five in the box. If you look, there's five in right there. We ought to be able to run on that. So third and seven, everybody else is a pass. For us, it's a run. We don't do a good job, don't make many yards. But we get to fourth down, and it's fourth and five. And, and, and the world's a different place for us. Now we've got to run a play to make those five yards. Now fourth down is a town where I do run some stationary routes because we'll run to some open spots. And I don't mind them on fourth down because you got to keep the drive going. And it's an easier target for the quarterback, if that makes sense to you. So there's some of that. Now I'll go to a little bit of uh, the onside kick world while some guys are, some guys may want to see that. I just, I just strung together. Man, my thing's acting funny. It's a little delayed here. Um, our onside kicks, I've used two kickers, one kicker, done a little bit of everything. Um, but, but what I like to be able to do is audible. You, if you look, we're lined up right here, and uh, they've got they've got six guys over there. I got six guys. They got three guys over here, so we we run an audible. Check left, and our kicker runs over there and kicks it to the left. We didn't, you know, I put them on here. Some that don't get, don't get, but we like to be able to kick it where we've got numbers. The other thing I like to do is if they're a team that uh, does a good job of of coming and blocking you, we'll kick the ball on the ground. Uh, if they don't, we'll get it bouncing a little bit and try to bounce it up in the air where it's a little bit of a jump ball. I think that's important to be able to mix up the kicks. So the kids on the front have some uh, have some indecision amongst them. This is one called, they were all bunched up right there. We call this the rocket kick. We aim at a guy and kick it as hard as you can. If it bounces off and hits, good. If it doesn't and it goes through, it's a mad scramble. Oh, well, huh? This is one of the kicks that we do where we, we – I don't really want to say what we call it, but we basically – we say aim for the fat kid. So we just <laughs> yeah. pick a kid and try to kick it off him as hard as we can. Yeah, and you know what's funny is I always yell – if we do the rocket, I always yell the number once we're all lined up. So I'm like, kick it at number eight. And number eight is looking around. It's like, oh, freak, they're kicking it to me. You know? I mean – and that's scary for him. And I can't tell you how many we've gotten when I say kick it to that kid and we kick it to him and he's terrified. It's coming to him a hundred miles an hour. He's got no chance to fill the thing. <laughs> um, I put this one on here to show you, you know, we'll do different things formationally because something that we put in once and I literally have to practice it one time that week and it takes 30 seconds. Other teams will spend minutes and minutes and minutes getting ready for everything they see because I also make sure everybody in the world knows that we're 136 and five when we recover an onside kick. So if I tell everybody that number, what do you think they're practicing all week? Making sure I don't get an onside kick because we're 136 and five when you get one. So if you just throw in a little extra stuff, that was obviously a terrible kick. It didn't go 10 yards. That was supposed to be what we call a little jelly kick where you kick it and we're all walking down, waiting for it to go 10 yards. They're waiting for it to go 10 or they try to jump in there and get it. And then it's just a mad scramble for the ball. But as you can see, even a team that's supposed to be good at it still has some dumb butt things that we do. That's why I decided to show you just a whole game of the kick. And then people ask, do you ever kick off uh, deep? Yeah, if we get up, you know, 
28, 35 points. We'll kick it deep if I'm trying not to run the score up on somebody. But amazingly enough, they don't even practice return that week. So even then, their coaches are always saying, look, just get on the ball. Let's play offense. So people are like, well, aren't you running? Because we never, never practice uh, kick return. I mean, uh, covering a deep kick. Not once during this entire year. But we kick deep probably 30 times. But we don't have to because they're not even set up for a good kick return. And we always do a good job with it. They never, they've run back more onside kicks than they have deep kicks. Here's one that I like to, uh, as you'll see, we, we try to, the, the big thing is this. If you bounce it up high, do it slow enough or far enough from that side where your guys get a chance to get there at the same time as the ball. The other thing is kick it on the ground because bending over and picking up some of these kicks is way, way harder than, than uh, one that just hops up right to you where you can catch the ball at chest level. Notice so, we, get, we get down here about the same time as the kick. Then it's just a mad crowd. There's someone I wanted to ask you there, Coach. So I got called on one that, that we decided to, to do last year, and it was basically because we didn't kick off a tee. So the rules that we've got to do, you've got to take a kickoff from a tee apparently. Um, I've looked for this rule. I, I haven't been able to find it, but it got called once. So what we've done now is we've, for that ball that we want to go along the floor, we've just lent it against the tee. Yeah, you can and do that. That's what we used to do. It, are you kicking it any different to how you'd be kicking it on the floor, or is it just exactly the same sort of situation with it being on the tee? What we're doing is, I'm going to pretend, pretend this is the black the, uh, tee, Okay. And I, I should actually have a ball. Wait, I've got a ball somewhere. <laughs> okay. This little baby ball. Pretend this is the tee. Then we used to kick that one and put it right here. And we would kick the ball on the stripe. And this would actually help it start spinning. So yeah. we used to do that. And then I decided I didn't like the tee because we'd forget it. And the little kid wouldn't go out there and get it like he was supposed to after it was over with. <laughs> and I look up two plays later and the tee's out there. So I just like, ah, we can kick it just as good without it. Now I say all that to say, if you guys are using American rules, then I, I really, really doubt that you got your own set of rules since we made the game. No. That said, even here, it's amazing how many officials don't know all the rules, especially when it comes to that, because that's very obscure. Very few teams trot out there without a tee. So what I've done is, is I keep one of those rule books and I keep the kicking section. Uh, I got it highlighted so I can flip to the page and show the official if I need to, because they've tried to tell me, I can't tell you how many times you can't do this or you can't do this. Like we drop kick. Do you know what a drop kick is? Yeah. We drop kick kickoffs and they'll tell you, you can't do that. I literally had our state rules commissioner send me a, 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 a text message before a game saying, you can't do that. That's not in the rule book. That's our state commissioner. The officials came and they told me before the game, you can't do that kick. We're going to throw a flag on. I showed them in the rule book. And then I called the state rules guy on his cell phone. He's like, I'm still not letting you. And I'm like, now you are breaking the rule. I'm going to do it. And if they, if they call it on me, I've got it on video and I'm putting it on social media and y'all are all going to look bad and people are going to call y'all and tell you're a bunch of cheaters and this and that. So what I'm saying is on all this stuff, know the rules backwards and forwards, because I promise you this, the officials don't. Officials that have been doing it 25 years don't know all the rules. So you've got to know all the rules on those kinds of things to be able to do those. 
Pete, you had a question, yeah? Yeah, well, before my question, and just on a personal note, I, I think all our officials, unlike Adam, know all the rules. <laughs> <laughs> I just put that in front for next season, just in case any yeah, officials that, are watching. That's your official, yeah, you can do your official speak. On to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, we've actually got a question from uh, one of my colleagues down south, Neil O'Hare, and it's a question that a lot of Britball co coaches will want to know. We play in a lot of wet and muddy fields. Have you got anything that you would use for those types of surfaces? No, the only thing that's different, they're they're they don't they're they're they don't affect us at all. Matter of fact, I then for sure keep the ball on the ground because it gets wet and muddy before it gets to the other team and makes it even harder and more slippery for them to do it, especially muddy. Muddy, and I don't know if they can see. You can, yeah, barely you can see small dimples and crevices on the ball. When you have a muddy field, those crevices get filled and the ball is even more slippery. And it's really hard to field an onside kick. So it doesn't change at all. What it does change a baby bit is if we kick one that we call the NBA, which does one, two hard skips and then bounces up, it skips because the ground's wet, it hits and skids more. And so the ball goes further closer to the sidelines than usual when it's wet outside than it would if it was a dry day. That's the only thing I've discovered. But we don't change our kick. We don't change the kicks we do. We don't change the way we kick the ball at all. I just usually don't do that skip ball. I do them all on the ground because it's muddy and it's harder for them to recover. And if people haven't seen the, the clips and things on YouTube, the NBA ball – if you want to refer to stuff that people will be used to, it's kind of like a grubber kick, but it's coming from the tee as well, isn't it? So it's coming along the floor, bobbling and popping up at that last moment. So Yeah, it, it, it is. we started, they'll lean the ball back where it sits up on the tee, but without falling over. So it's leaned way back. And we just kick, it's just a normal kick, and they kick where the stripe would be on the ball. They kick it, and and it starts going, you know, it starts going in over in, but what happens, it hits the ball once and it hits the ball twice. And on the second bounce, because by rule, we can't take a high hop on the first bounce. They outlawed that rule because of us. But on the second bounce, it can go high, but on the second bounce, it goes about 25 feet high and it's a jump ball. So we kick it from the far hash to give our guys time to get down there where the ball's up in the air and it's just a jump ball with five guys from each team trying to get the ball. And, um, you know, we're all trying to get the ball. Nobody's hitting anybody or anything like that. People think, well, are you doing that to try to hit the other guy? No, we're not. But it's not like basketball. In basketball, if everybody's going up for a rebound, if I hit your arm, you know, that's a foul. Well, in football, it's not. If we're all going up for the ball, I tell them, take one hand. If, you, if, if the guy's taller than you on the way over, take one hand and knock his hand down. Then he'll miss the ball and it'll be on the ground. It's a mad scramble. So little bitty intricacies that you learn throughout these kicks um, really can help you gain gain possessions later on if you figure it out and teach the kids. That's brilliant, Adam. You had a couple more. We had a couple more comments come in before we move on to analytics. Yeah, so I'll pull a couple of these up now. So we've had a guy come in and ask, "What would your advice be for a UK kicker uh, to get notice and gain exposure?" So. Kick it dead far. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I mean, we don't, you know, we don't get – I had one kid that got to walk on 
at a big school because he could kick onside kicks and ended up doing really well for him later on. But you're not going to get not many people, even at the college game here, are going to are going to onside kick predominantly. And so, you know, getting exposure for that's not going to help. It's going to be the same as everything. You've got to be able to make long field goals and kick it in the end zone. That's what they want to see for us for exposure. So the onside kick's not going to help them at all, except for as a coach, sometimes I get the opportunity to sell my kid to a college coach, you know, and I'm, and I'm trying to, and I'm like, look, this kid can do the field goals and do the, I know we don't do many of them, but they can do those things, but they also can onside kick 12 different kicks that you're not going to get if you sign the other kid. And so hopefully that little bit makes them more marketable than other kids. And we had something coming from Bafgal. I pulled it up earlier on as well, but I'll pull it back up again. Uh, Bafgal will be launching a partnership with Coach Tube in the coming weeks. Uh, final partnership meeting with Coach Tube uh, this week. So hopefully our governing body, um, Pete, you might be able to comment more on that um, later in the day, but they're going to be uh, partnering up with Coach Tube as well. So hopefully you well, get some more. Whichever one of you are in charge of that, um, whichever one of you are in charge of that, the guy that runs that, uh, his name's Wade. Great guy. And, uh, you know, t- t- mentioned me in there. He and I have a really good partnership and a good relationship. And this is the next step for him. And, and he's done a really nice job of, of making a place where anybody can upload a video and the world will make it what it is. If it's good stuff, the world will pay for it. They'll make money. They're getting educated. If it's bad stuff, he still lets you upload anything you want, but nobody will buy it and you'll learn to do a better one or you won't do them anymore. So it turns out, you know, it turns into a really cool thing. And, uh, it, and I've enjoyed, I, I flew out to Las Vegas to meet him the first time I met him and, and to set up a partnership and, and, uh, got to see what he's going He's a kind guy with a big heart that wants to educate the world in athletics and find a way for guys to watch other people and learn from them. And, and, uh, it's been cool for me because I bought a lot of videos off there, but I've also now I've sold a lot. And, uh, man, they, they've been great compared to any of the other organizations that I've worked with in that area. He's by far in the best. Fantastic. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to get into, and we've touched it, it's been like an underlying theme throughout the show, is obviously you put an incredible stress on on analytics, but what are the key key things that you've looked at which have gone, oh, I, I could buy into this, and then the team, you know, and, and then more importantly, getting your team to buy into it? You mean away from analytics or in the analytics? In the, in the analytics, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, the hardest thing to do is get coaches to buy into it. Kids are easier. You know, if you can, they'll ask you why. And if you can tell them why, th- th- they're, they're in quick. And they like being different, you know. And, and kids nowadays want to be individualized. That's why you got, you know, guys in college and the NFL doing dances afterwards. They want to be individuals. Well, I don't allow all that. So I – I talked to him about being different as a team, but good different, not just different for the heck of it. The coaches are the hard ones to convince and the fans. You know, I have a, you know, when I first put it in with my coaches, you know, try telling your defensive coordinator you're not going to punt and you're going to give the other team your ball in your own 10 yard line sometimes. That does not happen, you know, because he thinks when they score, it makes him look bad. I tell him it doesn't matter. What makes him look bad is if we lose the game, then nobody cares what kind of, you know, and so. Convincing the coaches was the hard part about playing the game a little differently and trying new things. And, you know, my guys now, you know, I've had some coaches that I've got one coach that's been with me the whole time, but the rest of them are all new as they've come and gone on to bigger and better places. And, and the thing is, 
if you do convince them, then they'll help you convince the team if you need it. But the biggest thing is convincing the parents. And I know that sounds crazy. You know, if I was in college, if they hired me at the University of Alabama tomorrow, Nick Saban killed over and they said, Kevin Kelly, you're our guy. I would say, <laughs> okay, but first game, before everybody comes out, I want a mic and I want to address the 80,000 people. Because <laughs> the fans are so crucial to your kids buying in and playing and having confidence. For instance, if the first time we walk out there and we go for it on fourth and one and we don't make it and they score a touchdown, the fans are booing, that doesn't make the kids want to go out there the next time and give it their all on fourth and one because the, they might be thinking, God, the fans may be right. So I would go out there and I would address the fans just like I address my parents every year. Look, we're going to do this whether you want us to or not because I believe in it. <laughs> and if you if you want to win by you booing at the game, that's not helping us win. That's going to make your kids question. That's going to make all of our kids question. So again, if your goal is to win and my goal is to win and I'm going to do it whether you're booing or not, you might as well not boo. And when you get home, don't tell Johnny, hey, Coach Kelly's an idiot because Johnny's going to come and practice tomorrow and he's going to question me rather than be all in with me. And then I'm going to have to teach him in a bad way not to question me and to be all in. <laughs> and we're wasting time and causing Johnny problems. So what you need to do is convince your people, hey, look, I promise you I've got no other agenda rather than winning it. I believe this is the best way. So be on board with me. You don't even have to agree. Just don't boo and don't tell Johnny I'm an idiot. You could tell your wife I'm an idiot. You could tell your best friend I'm an idiot. But don't tell the people that it's going to affect in the actual game until the season's over with and your kid no longer plays for me. Then you can say, Coach Kelly's an idiot, by the way. And <laughs> you can get it all out. So that's the way I approach it. But I would say the kids are easy. The coaches are second easiest because as a head coach, I, I usually reason with them and let them ask all their questions when I bring in something new. And I bring in new dumb stuff all the time. This year, no, last year I brought in when we intercept the pass, the guy has to run to the opposite sideline and we pitch a reverse on the interception. Okay. And you'd be amazed at how many good yards you can make after that. Cause how many teams on offense practice throwing interception and covering a reverse? I mean, nobody. Right? So we're, we, Every we've got to university in this country, but get ready for us doing that next season. Now we've, we, we, we've done that on three interceptions in the last two years. One went back 60 for a touchdown and I don't think it would have the other one went um, 80 yards, got tackled on like the five. They caught a block in the back on us. And the other one this year went like 40 yards. So we're pretty good when we actually get to do it. You know, most interceptions you catch it and they're falling down and stuff, you know. But uh, on the ones we've caught, we've got to reverse. You know, that's – I should bring one of those up and show you all in a minute while, while you are ciphering oh. through here and asking me questions. But but uh, you can, you, can uh, you know, being creative – but explain it to your team. Now, I had to explain that one to my kids. The kid that gets the interception, he don't want to go pitch a reverse. He wants to go, you know, try to make as many yards as he can, that kind of thing. So what I'm saying is, you know, in that situation, you've got to explain to your kids why it's benefiting the team more than it's uh, 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 benefiting him and what we're all there for and all those kinds of things. And, it, and on the back end of it, um, you got to get them to buy in. So the psychology of getting to and telling them why – is a big thing. But the coaches, like I say, the fans are the hardest. Coaches are second hardest. But eventually, if you're the head coach, you can say, because I said so, if they won't listen to you, or you're not going to be here next year. And <laughs> the kids are the easiest by far and away. 
So no, I'm just, I have literally just had a text message saying, please, can we do that next year? <laughs> <laughs> I want to try. I'm going to try to find one uh, before this thing's over with, where we get to do that. Okay. So, coach, I've got a question about analytics for you. So, I I teach analytics to my students at the university. I use your video, I put it up in front, and I show them this crazy guy. The coach that never punts, and I say it's all about the numbers. It's absolutely scientific. This works. I could never do it because <laughs> I'm not brave enough. So, and I'm sure there's a lot of coaches out there watching this, going, "I want to do this, but I'm scared." Sell it to us. I don't want to sell it to you. <laughs> don't do it. I don't want you to do it either, Pete, because when I do it, then I'll look like a genius and I'll be texting well, Coach Hill every week. <laughs> let, let, me, let, me, let me say this. I will say that, you know, the reason that football coaches don't do it more are like, uh, do you guys follow the NFL over there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So if, if I say, you know, who's the head coach of the of – the, New England Patriots, you know, a lot of people know Bill Belichick and they can picture him or, or, or pick him out of a lineup. If I said, who's the head coach of the Boston uh, Celtics, not as many people in the NBA. If I said, who's the head coach of the Boston Red Sox baseball team, not as many people. I say all that to say this in the, in football, the star player and the head coach are often the face that's associated with that team. When the face is associated with the team, the ego is also associated with that as well. Now, what I mean by that is if you're a football coach and you make dumb decisions, you're chastised a lot more than a baseball manager or an NBA guy, a basketball coach that makes a bad decision. And, and that comes with it. The other thing is the ego is, you know, if you win, you don't want it to be because you were an analytics guy. And because the ego doesn't let it, you don't want people going, well, anybody could win if you were using analytics. We all know it's not true if you're a football coach, but coaches don't want to be seen that way anyway. So in my endeavors with all these guys that have asked, I mean, some of the biggest names in the game have told me, you know, we think you're right, but we're not going to do that because the media that we would get from it when it does finally go bad. Like a while ago, I think it was Adam that said one, one time it hurt us. They all jumped on that and go, that's why you lost and they don't want to deal with all the media that comes with that. So I, I think that's the answer to that. I'm going to real quick, while, I'm, while I brought it up, I'm going to share that, that reverse thing so you can see it. Are y'all are, are there? Can yeah, 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 there we go. Yeah. Okay, here it is right here. So if you'll watch, I think we've, we've, we uh, – let me see, it's on a little delay. Yeah, their quarterback comes, a little mini bootleg, throws it up. I go up, it's tipped, it's caught, so we can see him right there. Now, watch him reverse field, pitch it over here, but look at their whole team. What did they do when they saw him start running that way? Look at all the guys right here heading that way. So when he pitched it right there, now we're back. Look at that. A little reverse, a little pitch reverse off an interception. I told you get tackled down there after like an 80-yard return. <laughs> So, so yeah, so, you know, and, and the kids, that was an easy sell to all the other kids except the one that gets the interception. But you got to say, hey, you might be the one getting the pitch, you know, if that's the case. 
spend five minutes on one day and you look up and I've got 240 yards off of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even joking. Soon as next season comes, Pete, do you want a friendly? You're just going to be going zigzagging across the field. <laughs> so, like, coach, in terms of analytics, often people are, are scared of it because it's maths or it's numbers, right? But it, it doesn't have to be as complicated as that. So, if, if our coaches wanted uh, like a, a quick fix, you know, something that they could go and look at in their own team, you know, what would your sort of advice be in terms of what they could look at and you know, to do things differently like you do? I would say, you know, that's a great question because um, the analytics world, those guys that are involved in that, and it is some high-level math and a lot of time, and then sequencing and coding and trying to run all the data and find things out. I mean, and those guys are so smart, they don't do a great job of the presentation. And it's confusing. I, I'm lucky enough that I'm just smart enough to understand it, I guess, and and had a math background, and um, and and I've coached the game, so I can kind of bridge the gap better than most people probably. But what I would say is, you know, no, you know, you could probably even Google search or go to Football Outsiders or uh, or uh, EDJ Sports. There's football analytics websites. And you can sift through and find things that make sense to you and even fit your philosophy. Now, don't manipulate them to fit what you want to prove things, but to really take an open look on what you want to do. I mean, when I looked at I, I, I was in a good place. I was up in I was up in uh, Boston. I was speaking at this thing and uh, ESPN was there and and they let me go in their little mobile unit and they had all their data on these servers. And I got to go in and these 17 guys and I got to go in and say, OK, I'm going to cross reference a bunch of things. And I want you to tell me what happens because I want to know if that can benefit me. So they say, OK, give me an example. I say, OK, I want to know the percentage of the time that, you know, let's say the University of California scored a touchdown last year, period, when they had a possession of the ball. You're like, OK, well, it was like 28 percent. OK, um, then I want to know what percentage of the time they scored when they got the ball right after the other team had turned it over. So an interception or a fumble, is there a higher percentage of scoring when the other team's a little down because they just turned it over by a fumble or whatever from the same yard line. So you're comparing like stats. And I want to know what percentage of time did our team score? Or did the California score after they had the other team had scored a touchdown? So you look and if it's like, well, they score one 40% of the time after a turnover, and they score one only 18% of the time from the same spot after the other team scores a touchdown, you know, now at least I know what to work mentality-wise on my team or maybe even play calling or play design. I need to get us jump-started after they score on us because they scored twice as much. We scored twice as much off a turnover or whatever. Now I look at that. I take those kind of questions and I comply them to myself. I look and I and I go, what percentage of the t uh, time do we score a touchdown when we just get the ball after a kickoff? What percentage of time do we score after we recover an onside kick? And from the same spot on the field, we were we were scoring like 22% more when we recovered an onside kick. Well, what did that tell me? It told me I need to work on the onside kick a little more because not only is it a possession, we score at a higher rate. So maybe it's worth putting 10 extra minutes in each week because of the emphasis of what that does for you. Then I broke all that down, and and you can take analytics. Then you really start asking questions, 
and, and, and learning how to be more efficient and throw things in and out. Like I, I then went and started looking at my own plays and I, and I asked myself, okay, what do you think your best running play is? And I would write down the name of the running play. What do you think your top three pass plays were? And I named those and I'd go look at them. And I really want to see not what yards per completion or yards per attempt. When I called that play, how many yards were made on that play? Well, if I called it a hundred times in a year and we averaged, you know, 10 yards a play on it, that's not a bad play. But if I called it a hundred times, we averaged four yards a play. That's not a good pass play at all. Then I go and look at it and see if it's something I'm doing wrong did I call it the wrong time or is it just a bad play? Now here's the kicker of it all. You have to remember that when you are analyzing, you bring emotion and your own human ego and stupidity into it. So I, I, I asked myself, what do I think were the three most efficient plays we had last year passing? And I named those plays hammer tied and, and twister. Okay. And I looked at, and, and I, and I had tied second. So I go and I look at all my plays that I called that on. Get this. The play I listed as my second, what I thought was our second best pass play. We were three of 27 on three. We completed it three times in 27 tries. Now the question is how would the guy as smart as me, that's been coaching for a long time, that knows analytics, how would I miss it that bad? And I did, I missed it. It's because the three times we had called it, we had scored touchdowns on it, a 20 yarder, a 40 yarder, an 80 yarder, but they were all at crucial times in the game. So I remembered the crucial moments and had forgot all the dumb ones, you know, I forgot all the ones that didn't matter. And I was wrong. We should never call a play. That's three out of 27, 11% completion. I mean, that's terrible. And so, you know, you fool yourselves into thinking something's good and it's not. I, so I went and asked my old line coach right after I realized how dumb I was. I said, Hey, what's our, be what's our best running play inside zone, right? Inside zone, left trap, trap to the outside, right trap, to the outside, left, the inside trap, the counter trade, the outside zone, what's our best? He goes, oh, God, inside run, inside zone to the right. That's our best, not close. Like, okay, I look it up, no joke. Out of those plays I named, like eight plays, it was the worst. And I got, I got, It was the worst. We averaged like 3.4 yards of carry on it, and we ran it more times than the other play. What he remembered was the two 80-yard runs we had on that play. In his head, he just remembered, God, that was two 80-yard touchdowns. That's a great play. So in his head all year long, he's like, inside zone, it's a great play. It's a great play. It's a great running play. It was our worst running play, but that's what we do as humans. We either remember the really bad things that stick out or we remember the really good things, and we tend to forget the rest. Like that thing about childhood memories. You remember the really extremely bad or the really extremely good. We do the same thing in football. That's how analytics can help you as far as within yourself and then the bigger thing is go find out what wins games more than anything else. It's 20-yard plays first, turnover second, but everybody's working on that. Uh, number uh, Most sacks and most stuffs behind the line, most tackles for loss when you're on defense. And then you find out what are yours. My two are onside kicks. We get one, we're 136 and five. My other one is if we let somebody outside our defensive end, the way we set our defense up, if we let somebody outside our defensive end, 50-something percent of our 20-yard plays we gave up were when we literally let the quarterback or the running back outside the defensive end because we're not a spill team. We're a contained team. And so you analyze yourself. So you know what we do every single day? All we talk about on defense every day, 100% of the day, contain the quarterback, contain the running back. I don't care if you have to run to the sideline and make him cut back 
and not even try to tackle them. Contain and make them cut back because that's the way our defense is set up. So I hope one of those touches on how analytics can help yeah. you. One of the questions I had there, what with on the uh, a rare defensive question there for you. Um, you mentioned obviously the tackle for loss part and the twenty yard, you know, the twenty yard play in the sacks. However, in my head, obviously the sacks and um, tackles for loss would you would have to call unless you've just got better defensive linemen, a lot of blitzes, which to me then feeds into your philosophy of twenty yard plays because you you're leaving less in coverage. So. You know, for anyone who's watching defensive, how how what is the the recipe for there, or is it just a mix of it all? Or the reason we started playing the game differently in the first place, and I'm going to disappear from your screen for a minute so I can give me some more water. My throat's a little messed yeah. up, but I'm going to talk. The reason that we started doing this is because we're undersized versus the teams that we're playing. Okay, there's some teams like if you play the University of Alabama, they're always going to have gigantic guys, so they yeah. don't have to play that way, but. For instance, we play very big football, and I did not have one defensive lineman this year, not one kid over 200 pounds, none. And if you're going to get sacks and stops runs, you've got to blitz. Now, now what you would look at is you might go, okay, but you are leaving less guys in cover, so you might be giving up those 20-yard plays. Mm. Well, you might. But what I have found is a well-designed – again, I keep talking about play design – a well-designed blitz with the kids understanding the why and the kids on the back end understanding what is there to do on offense when we do design a good blitz and what do we need to do? Well, they're either going to throw a fade if we blitz everybody and go cover zero or they're going to run a stop route, one of those two. So position yourself underneath the guy to take away the stop and perfectly underneath the guy. We let guys get behind us on defense. And we say throw it over our head because if, if the ball's coming from over here and we run right underneath him, you've got to throw the ball over our head, but far enough where it's not too far to catch and it's incomplete. So you've got to throw the perfect pass to drop it in the basket. That's why in, in college in America, only about 10% of all fade routes are completions. I'll take that one out of 10 every <laughs> single time. So what, what I had to do was design good blitzes where the quarterback only has time to do those two things. And then we'll practice them on the three plays they can run out of that, a stop, a screen, or a fade. And if everybody's educated and knows why, how, we bring more guys than they can block. And because they can't account for the quarterback. I mean, he can't block anybody and throw it. So we've always got one more than we want, if we want to, than they've got. And that's what we do a lot of and do the same thing in the run game because we had to, and that overcomes the number of 20-yard plays that we give up. Do we give some up? Sure we do. I mean, everybody does a little bit, but I know this, that I think we make more on the other side, and our game is such that I'm really, this sounds really arrogant, really, really arrogant. Don't just, all, if anybody's watching besides us three, don't take this <laughs> that way. I do think you've got to think everybody in the world, everybody on the screen is better at somebody, something than somebody else is. And that's another thing I tell our kids. I'm like, write down something the other day that you're better than anybody on our team. Some kid goes, I'm, I'm not better at anything. I go, no, no, you're better at something. I said, what do you do? And I started asking questions. He goes, well, I'll take piano lessons. I'm like, I guarantee you play the piano better than anybody on this team. And sure enough, he did. Well, I'm better than anybody on this screen. I hate to say that at designing offensive plays and <laughs> Calling them 
calling them at the appropriate time. Okay. And I think, I think that defenses can, you can be good at designing stuff that makes it harder and then getting your kids to buy into it. And then you got to balance it out with the 20 yard play versus giving it up and all that. But I know this, if tackles for losses and sacks are third and fourth and who wins games and giving up 20 yards plays are one, I'm going to try to get them on offense and I'm going to try to get sacks and tackles for losses on defense. And we'll do the stuff on the back end we can to eliminate them. But here's the kicker. Since I'm so good on offense, what I don't want the other team doing is holding the ball for 16 plays and nine minutes because then we're not on offense. So I've gone a step further and told my coaches, I will never gripe at you for giving up a bomb, but I will gripe at you if you let them just move down the field because we're scared to blitz because we want them to throw it in front of us and hold the play for, hold the ball for 14 plays in nine minutes because we don't have it on offense and I'm better than he is on offense. So get yeah. the freaking ball back. Uh, we've had this question come in. What what do you look for in your quarterback to decide that he's going to be your starter? That's the other thing I'm really good at is I'm the quarterback whisperer. That's what they call me around here. <laughs> All my quarterbacks. Well, I've never... 900 yards in a game, 10 touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, I mean, we got lucky and the other team scored with us. You know, I mean, it was like 86 to 70 or something. So I feel lucky. You can only put up those numbers if the other team can play with you. And uh, we did, and we got to keep playing a full game for the first time in a long time, and we threw for a lot of yards. But um, that all said, the number it, it, the, the number one thing I look for is 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 a kid that's a good kid. I, I mean, you know, we've all got kids who are like, oh, that's just a quality individual. Now, do we love them all? Yeah. But are some of them turds? Yeah. I'm let's be honest. <laughs> you know? and, and that kid is always the kid that's a little bit of a turd. The kid that is – because in our offense, the quarterback's going to get all the attention. He's going to throw for 900 yards and 10 touchdowns. He's going to throw for – heck, he's going to throw for four or 500 every week and have six touchdowns. His name's in the paper. Well, if you've got the turd on the, on the, on the TV, he's getting all the notoriety or in the newspaper, that, that, that doesn't work. The rest of the team doesn't want to work hard. They don't want to block for him. They don't want to go out there and sacrifice and catch one for him. You know, the defense doesn't want to get him back because every week you got, you know, not a good kid in the media. And or not a good just kid out at practice. They're like, God, you're getting to do all the fun stuff, and all the girls like you, and 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 you're you're the worst one out here. So a good kid is crucially important. Plus, a good kid will always, if you tell him, hey, you got to work harder than these other guys. They have to see you here first and last, so they don't get jealous of you. Then a good kid will understand and listen. A good kid also, in my definition, is a people pleaser. He wants to please his coach. So if I say we've got to do it this way, even if he doesn't like to, he's not going to question it because he wants to please me. That's what a good kid. So that's why you go, good kid, that's kind of silly. Not really, not when you think about it. Um, the second thing is, and, and is, is a kid that is very coachable and a kid that understands and trusts his coach. If I tell him, You've got to throw the ball in this situation when your foot hits the ground right then. Even though it doesn't look like you should throw it, I need him to trust me. If I need him to trust that if I call this play, even if you don't like it and it hadn't worked three straight times, you run this play. I need him to trust me. And I need him. And to do that, that means he's coachable. If I say it, you do it. It's amazing how many guys 
are afraid to tell their kids what to do and how it's going to be. I'm very matter of fact about it. I might say, look, I know you think this kid's going to be open, but by gosh, you're going to throw it to that kid right there on this play, whether he's open or not. People are scared to tell their kids that. Well, I don't want to lead him down the wrong path. No, what I'm doing is I'm teaching him to trust me at all times because my job as the coach is to know more than him. And I'm going to tell him to do something. I need him to do it right then. And so I want a coachable kid. The third thing is not to be a genius, but he needs to be a kid that wants to be a genius about football. He needs to be willing to spend time with me watching film, going over the play design, and be smart enough to remember all those things. And here's the kicker. Quarterback is the hardest job on this planet, bar none. And, here, and here's my proof for that. There's only about seven guys on the walk in the face of the earth at any moment that are good enough to take their team to a Super Bowl. The rest of them, I don't even know why they play, I guess, to make money. But they ain't got a chance. You know, they, they have no chance. I mean, you know, if you go look and you follow the Washington Redskins, they had no chance this year. If you go look you go and you follow the, you know, the Cleveland Browns, well, they made the playoffs. They had no chance to win the Super Bowl. Baker Mayfield can't take you to a Super Bowl. There's only seven at any given moment. There's a thousand guys that can operate on your brain successfully. There's a million guys that can walk around and coach football, be policemen, do car, uh, heart surgery. There's only seven that can be a quarterback that takes you to the Super Bowl. Now, that said, that's because only, there's only seven guys that are, that are coachable, good enough people where their team doesn't hate them, when they're, when they're in the media and getting the girl all the time. There's only seven guys that can – that that are willing to learn where every player on their team on offense does on every single play and can process and make the decision and get the ball out while 11 guys are trying to kill them on the other team. There's only seven. So you need to get, find a guy that is willing to learn all he can, even when it's boring to him because he knows it's going to help the team, and that he can make those decisions under pressure and when it's over with, blame himself. He throws a ball, the receiver doesn't catch it, it's his fault. And I need to think it's my fault as a coach. And when he throws a if he's if he's anything happens, he takes a sack, he blames himself, not the offensive line. Because he's gotta be able to say, I should have got it off faster. You're having to get up there and freaking fist fight every every play. All I can do is sit here and throw the ball. I've got to throw the ball sooner. When he takes responsibility, everybody wants to play harder for him. Now, fourth is throwing the ball accurately, not a, not 50 yards down the field, not 100 miles an hour, getting the ball to the location that we need to when the world's crashing down around them and defensive guys are trying to kill them and offensive guys are running back into them. We need him to be able to put the ball. He doesn't have to be able to throw it to a dime, but he's got to be able to get the ball to a general area because my offense is going to get guys open. I just need you to be able to throw the ball to that area on time and you do that by learning, getting there first, and throwing a lot of balls. That was a long answer to an easy question. <laughs> oh, it was, a, it was a brilliant answer. Um, it leads me into the next thing. So when you guys are uh, recruiting for your school the, uh, at the moment, do you guys get to recruit from out of state and things as well? So do you guys get kids coming from out of state to the high school, or is it just all in-state kids? We are not allowed to recruit. Uh, right. that, that's private schools over here in some states are and some states are not we're not allowed to uh, matter of fact if you do come in you have to sit out a full year and you can't make up that year 
and you have to pay your own tuition and we can't scholarship and all that. So we just get kids. Our kids are all local kids that just grew up and playing here and all that, which is a good thing because the key to what we do is me teaching our, a very watered down version of our offense to a fifth grade. I teach our fifth grade coaches and they run our offense and defense all the way up. And then I'm adding to it every year. And that really helps as much as anything. That's fantastic. Yeah, so it's, I mean, I suppose that's great for the community as well, isn't it? It's homegrown yeah, and sure. growing up there, you kind of really committed and joined into it. Um, we're just gonna just final thing from from you in terms of the the serious questions, and we've got a couple of quick fire ones to go through. Uh, if you could, and I, I'm gonna stick you to one, what would be your one top tip to anyone um, getting into coaching or currently coaching in the UK? Um. I, I, I'm a big believer in kind of a karma, like, you know, and what you give what is what you get. When you go into it, go into it knowing that if you're going to be involved in it, football's hard, so you want to make it as rewarding for the people around you as possible. And I mean the coaches. So that means you got to work hard enough where they'll be proud of you and you're doing your job. For the kids – you want to teach them life lessons, what football can, you know, is teaching them about commitment, responsibility, and something's hard and I can make it through it to also the reward of winning. And that means you've got to educate yourself. And the second thing is, I would say, is know that you don't know. And, and I want you to think about this. There's three kinds of people in the world when it comes to knowledge. There's that. There's the kinds that know that they know, okay? Unfortunately, I'm getting there in football. I think I know more than I do at times. But I am smart enough to know I don't know about 90% of what I can know. So know that you know. There's those kinds that know that they don't know. That's what I want to be. I want to know that I don't know something, so I've got to go find it all the time, every day, find some more. And then there's those dummies that don't know that they don't know. And that's <laughs> the one none of us like, you know. So don't be a coach that doesn't know that he doesn't know. Well, this is the way we do this backpedal with a cornerback. Well, coach, here's why you're getting beat on that. You know, I'm sure. Well, this is the way I do it. He doesn't know that he doesn't know. He thinks that he does know. And that's the worst <laughs> one. So I'm saying make sure you're somebody that even if you think you know, you will listen to ideas always. Now, you, you don't have to adapt, adopt them always. But the more you listen to, what I'm amazed is the things that I do the best in coaching aren't because I completely changed what I was doing when I heard an idea. It's because it sparked an idea in my head to tweak something I was already doing and make it a little bit better because I listened to that idea that I wasn't going to adopt. Perfect. No, that was a, that was a great, and thank you for sticking to one. <laughs> uh, I know that it's, it's not, not easy to give one single piece of advice. Uh, Pete, I, I'll give you a last question. If you've got one um, before we go into the quick fire round, if you've got anything. And uh, no, I just wanted to say a huge thanks to, to coach because it's, it's quite often for UK-based coaches, we want to to learn as much as we can, but then we have to apply it to our game over here, which is obviously a different standard. We have different levels of commitment and so on. But I think you've given us all a really great insight into to things that, as coaches, we can bring in terms of our toolkit. So, I hope uh, so. I, I hope so. What, what? Let me ask you all this question. What levels of football do you all guys have over there? So all our, all of our football is uh, it's amateur based. So we've got a mix of we've got like an adult national league, um, which we've got like three levels at that. Um, we've got university football, um, we've got 
an under 19 setup um and uh under 16 setup as well so our junior format so our kids formats played at a smaller format of the game so we play like nines at junior just because we haven't got the the numbers is what most teams in the states have Okay. I think one of the things we're finding is a growing, obviously now over in the UK, we've got the NFL Academy and a couple of programs where more and more British guys are, are going over to the state. So obviously our show really has always been about helping coaches get better, uh, but then also helping young guys understand what it's like to play stateside. That's the dream now for a lot of kids in the UK to actually go and play in the NFL. Um, and hopefully we can just keep increasing that awareness for it so we basically as coaches we've got to get them to the level where they can go and seamlessly play and get div one scholarships and stuff like that and not and not miss a beat so um but I, it's, it's just, I think we've probably got two three hundred teams in the UK so it's not something probably more someone will probably correct me so it's not as small as um it it, it, it can be sometimes perceived it's probably going to keep growing as well so um, I'm going to shoot through some some quick fire questions for you, uh, just a little bit of lighthearted stuff to to to, to finish with, um, as close to one word as possible. But if it's two or three, and uh, that that's fine. Uh, best player that you've ever coached? Broderick Green. He was a kid that went to USC on football scholarship when Pete Carroll was there. Who's the Coach of the 49ers now. I mean, I mean, of the Seattle Seahawks now. Seahawks. Yeah. Um, best coach you've ever coached against? Rick Jones. Uh, he was at Greenwood High School. He won several state championships, and now he is uh, at the University of Missouri. Cool. Uh, who's your sporting hero? Do what? Your sporting hero. Sporting hero. Tom Brady or Bill Belichick, and who, Bill I've got, who I'm lucky enough to have gotten to know. What's he like? Huh? What's he like? Uh, Bill, kind of a no-nonsense guy. Um, he's not like you see in the media uh, when you're private with him, when you're by yourself with him. Just a normal guy. I mean, you know, uh, he's a football genius. And, and here's something. He, he's. I think one of the things, that, the most general things I can say that make him better than everybody else is, besides he's extremely intellectual, he enjoys the parts of football that nobody likes. He mm. likes the grinding part of football. He's taught himself to enjoy that. When it's some things that all of us are like, oh, God, I got to – you know, he, he enjoys the grind, I guess, probably more than anybody I've ever seen. Um, so I would say – and he treats everybody – he treats uh, all the guys as he thinks they need to be treated. And what mm. I mean by that is, you know, the star player is not treated like a star. And the worst, player, like a star the worst part. the worst <laughs> – the worst player is not treated like the worst player. Yeah. Uh, if you got in the Super Bowl, Tampa or Kansas, what's the spread? <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Tom Brady fan because we got to be around him. And, uh, you know, even at, you know, in his last five years when we've gotten to know him and gotten to go hang out with him at practice and stuff, he's still the first one there, last one to leave. He's working really hard. He sits in the front row of every single meeting. You know, I had a guy I was talking to that had been with him eight years, and I'm like, is he always like this? And they're like, yeah, you know, I thought that he was like a kiss up for the first eight years. But here we are, you know, he's, he's been in the so league right. 19, 19 years. He still sits in the front row, takes notes on every meeting, you know, and that's probably why he is the greatest because nobody can do that and do that for that long. He's one of those guys that knows that he can always learn a little something extra. 
And he keeps trying to find that one extra thing he can learn. And I think that's what keeps him going at such a high level. I think this year might have, if any, there was any doubters, I think this year might have solidified that he is probably the greatest of all time. Um, this is interesting. What's your most embarrassing moment in football? One you rather regret? Uh, <laughs> there are probably two, two came to my mind as soon as you said that. One, my very first game as a head coach. Very first game. We walk out and we got beat 63 to zero. And I thought, oh my gosh. I thought I knew what I was doing. I have no idea how to prepare a team, how to call plays, how to do anything. And I questioned myself as a coach. It was extremely embarrassing. I'd say it was one of the top 10 worst days of my life. You know, you look, put like close people that have passed away or died. And then there's that one. That one's right there. That one was real embarrassing. Another one was we played a playoff game here one time and I was really sick and couldn't eat lunch. And so I didn't have any lunch. I didn't have any dinner. We played it. It was a, tough game and I literally as soon as the game was over I passed out and <laughs> that was that was pretty embarrassing really 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 embarrassing uh, to be honest with you too because to me it's like a symbol of weakness it's like you can't even stand up you little wuss you know but you know those, those two stand out <laughs> um, what who's the best prospect we've never heard of uh, the, a kid I've got playing right now Joe Hyman is a running back for me. He's the kid that almost had 2,000 yards rushing, and I'm yeah, an idiot yeah. because cause we mercy-rolled the team in the state championship game, so I took him out. If I'd have known he would have been the only one to ever do that, that's ever walked the face of the earth, I'd have found a way to get him those yards. And yeah. uh, but, but Why did they keep kicking to him? Why did they keep kicking to him? <laughs> oh, kicking uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. People aren't very smart sometimes. You know, or, or let's say it's the ego thing. They're like, hey, we can, t we can take care of him. I know nobody else could, but we can take care of him. You know, that's, that's the ego the thing. Just see the clean. Um, uh, last one, uh, the quick fire, and then we've got the, our favorite question we always ask. NCAA or NFL? Which one you're out? Which one you watching? NFL. Love it. Yes. Come on, coach. I, I, if, you, if you ask people here, Nine out of ten would say college, the NCAA. I'm, the I'm a college guy. It's the same in the UK, guy. believe it or not, because we learn so much from the college game. A lot of our game is modelled on a lot of the offences you'll see in college. So within the coaching community and British American football, they're all like, yep, college, college. And I'm like, NFL, come on. <laughs> so, do, do, do your college coaches get get paid enough to for me to, for me to come over and coach? <laughs> we could probably find um, you. We could find you a job. Like <laughs> I can tell um, you my salary in round numbers. Me <laughs> <laughs> too. Nice. Um, and then this was last question. Bit. Last question. So, if you had to have an NFL flag team, so it's a five v five flag team. Okay, so the guys are playing both sides of the ball. When we say flag, you're still allowed a bit of contact. So we're not worried about that. But five guys that are playing both sides of the ball. Who's your team? Um, one of them's got to be a quarterback, right? But he's got to yeah. play defense too. Yeah, yeah. I'm going. I'm going Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. I'm going. Uh, I, I don't like him, but if I just wanted sheer production, Tyreek Hill, the receiver yeah. for the Chiefs. Um. I'm probably going Travis Kelsey. He plays another guy. Um, I'm gonna go. 
You got one more receiver and a running back. Yeah, I'm gonna go running back. I mean, is it now or of all time? Now you can, we're not giving you that. <laughs> now. Yeah, now it's tough. Um, he, he, he's a he plays for the Panthers. Is the right answer, by the way? No, don't don't <laughs> listen to him. God, that's tough. I might go. Uh, uh, I might go Amari Cooper. He plays for oh, the Cowboys. Was- but yeah. he was a tough, he was a tough kid growing up and can play defense too, as a yeah. you know a, a receiver kind of guy. And then, you know, a lot of people you, you can't since it's flag. Derrick Henry doesn't do you any good. You know, yeah. he's going to line up and just get touched. He may run you over <laughs> while you're touching him, but he's not. You, know, uh, you he can just, pick him if you want. No, the the rest. Not, not, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm not going to pick him. Um. Y'all, that's tough. I would, y'all, you guys know who Barry Sanders is. I can't pick him now. Yeah. I think Barry might be good. Now, Barry would be the best flag guy you've ever had in your uh, – that, that maybe yeah. ever have, existed. Just just have the modern-day version, Christian McCaffrey. He, he's as good. <laughs> that wouldn't be a bad – that might be who I'd pick because he could run and catch out of the out of the backfield. That's good. That's not where I was going to go, but that's a good one. I was going <laughs> to pick the guy, Dalvin Cook, that plays for the, the Vikings. Yeah. Because I think he's a guy that can make you miss too. Get a little wiggle to him. Yeah. See, the one difference I would have had in there, I would have put DK Metcalf because we we seen he could tackle a few weeks ago. So I, I would have put him in a receiver. Uh, great effort too. How about chasing that guy yeah. down? Yeah. Yeah, you love the yeah. guy. It would have been easy. Nobody would have said anything if he would have stood there, you know, yeah. not chasing yeah. the guy down the field. Guy's a freak. Um, no, I think I think that's everything. I know Pete, you wanted to have a, a last comment, and then obviously we'll, we'll yeah, say our just to say, it's been fantastic to talk to you. And I know that if uh, you ever wanted to come over to the UK, we have a coaching convention every year in normal times. And we have lots of guest speakers come over. And if you're available, we'd love to have you over. Come visit and come talk to some of our coaches in person. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, if, if they, uh, I, you know, somebody else called me earlier. Well, this was God, back in September when we didn't know you know, how soon COVID would be done. You know, people thought it might be done earlier to talk to me about maybe coming over and speaking at that. And I said, Hey, you guys, you guys can, you guys will get me over there. I'm glad, glad to do it. I, I love football. Glad you guys are spreading it. I think it's a great sport. I think it does a couple things. The life lessons you get because that the kids can get, that people can get. But I think, you know, like you guys, I love things that people are passionate about. I soccer over here is not a big deal. Soccer, y'all's kind of football. People yeah. are passionate about it. I love anything that people are passionate about. Over here, people are passionate about football. So I'm glad you guys are doing that because I think it brings communities together, people together, gives you something to talk for, gives you something to hope hope for. You know, maybe if your life is humdrum or whatever, but gosh, you're pulling for your team. I, I like I like things that create a passion, and I'll, I'll forever love the game of football. I'm so glad that you guys are spreading it and trying to get it going as uh, you you know, big over there because it's just more opportunities for people to have that yeah. passion, that hope, and all those things. No, thank you so much, Coach. It's been a, I know from the bottom of our hearts, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, you know, you, you are you welcome back anytime. You name the date, and you're welcome on. <laughs> um, but no, it's been an absolute pleasure, and we look forward to to following the way you go. Um, I'd love you to get a decent college gig and take take it there if you ever had that opportunity, or even in the NFL, I'd love to see it rolled out. Um, so yeah. 
you know, we're, we're, we're super pumped about having you on, and thanks so much. Uh, and obviously, we'll, we'll put forward your your information as well. I think you've just put your at in there, so we'll, we'll share that. Yeah, I'll put that in there if they want to follow me on Twitter. I, I Sometimes I'll do everything from motivational messages to watch a football game and comment. And I've mm. seemed to found a lot of people like like to follow that over here. Sometimes it's football type stuff. Sometimes it's that guy, you know, what's that guy doing? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, and then, yeah, I plug that. If you want a video and see some stuff, yeah, that's the Twitter and the Instagram. Twitter, much more active. Everything from motivation to football analytics. And then on uh, 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 the uh, in the world of the co- coach tube, like I say, good videos on there. I'm always trying to plug it. My family, my, I got a wife and daughter trying to go to school, so I got to pay for them. So you know, but but anyway, appreciate appreciate you guys letting me do that too. But but uh, thank you. And if any of your people are watching and have questions, they can email me at kevin.kelly with an ey at pulaskiacademy.org. If they go on Twitter, they'll see the email, and I'll, I'll try to answer all the questions. I know when I was young and uh trying to figure it out and i still do email guys ask questions i try to get to the emails if they send them to me and answer them in a fairly timely fashion but i'm glad to do that too if anybody's got any questions absolute legend coach thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure i didn't i didn't even ask about ted lasso did anybody (laughs) watch the show ted lasso (laughs) you don't know what that is on apple on apple tv there's a show called ted lasso where they They get a guy that was coaching in a, uh, coaching football in America, and the lady brings him over to coach, I guess, a Premier League soccer team in England. Yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a great show, but I always thought that's probably what I would end up like, I hope, if I, if I came <laughs> up with coach soccer over there. So. Don't worry. Don't worry. There's enough American football where you could come over and coach. That is fine now. So. All right, all right. And if you make it over to the UK, uh, you, I think the, the beers will definitely be on me. So don't yeah, worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> but thanks very much, Coach. Thanks so much for coming on. This is honestly, it's been like Christmas for me. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> thanks very much. I, I, great questions overall. Thought it was great. Two hours went by fast, and appreciate y'all's attitude. I mean, you made me feel good, and, and that's all people want to do is feel good about what they're doing. So thank y'all. Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Coach. Take care. Cheers. Uh, thank you very much uh, for Pete for joining us and I'm, I'm Bafka for, for, for working w- with us on this and uh, I don't want to reveal anything but um, ourselves and Bafka will be working together again in two weeks time I think is the, the next time frame um, I think I want to tell bit, people I get so annoyed you know, that you don't want to tell people no I'm not going to do it um, give us the, the big people, reveal, mate. you us know what reveal. it is for the people that still tuning in right now I'm going to tell everyone. You're not. I am. I'm doing it right now. Right, you ready? Go on, then. Right. He's going to mute us. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Adam. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. (laughs) Um, The final 22. Now, to be fair, um, what what can we give? Uh, There might be a clue on our recent Facebook post. There you go. Somebody on that Facebook post who's not British will be on our show. There you go. That's good. No, no, that's a good enough one. Just that's give them a... one last chance. That's all I'm asking for. Just give them one last <laughs> chance to have a guess, right? <laughs> <laughs> I will no, see you shortly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks very much for watching, guys. Please give us a like, a share, a follow on our Facebook. You'll get Bafka, follow a YouTube, go give it a follow, a click, a like, whatever you want to do. But we'll see you next week. Cheers, Take guys. care, guys. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you very much. No, Cheers, thank you, guys. Awesome.
Cheers, Peter. Thank you.